as Americans, we love freedom. Freedom is part of our nature as a country. We celebrate every year on July 4th the signing of our Declaration of Independence. We look back on our Revolutionary War and those who fought and died to secure our freedom. And we regale our Constitution and the Bill of Rights that declares some of the freedoms we have, among which the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom to assemble, the freedom to petition our government. Freedom is important to us. And yet one of the things we've had to learn as a nation is that there is no such thing as absolute freedom. No matter what we do, there are some restrictions. There are laws to which we must be enslaved or that we must serve. And if we dispense with those laws, then we realize that in reality we wouldn't have freedom. We'd become enslaved by our own anarchy and the fear that we would have of those who have no laws to follow. And I think this is an important concept for us to understand, not just nationally, not just politically, but even spiritually. Because the Scripture demonstrates that Jesus died in order to call us to freedom. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Then in verse 13, he repeats the sentiment saying, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Freedom is important to us as Americans, but more so to us as Christians. Because Jesus died that we might be set free. However, even within the context of these verses in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 demonstrates us that even our freedom in Christ is not absolute. Freedom in Christ does not mean we're free to do anything and everything that we want. Paul goes on to say, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I'd like for us to take a look this evening at the freedom that Jesus has given us, but also at the servitude that we still have, the enslavement, if you will, that is still there even though we are in Christ. I hope we can examine the context here and understand exactly what Jesus has done for us and yet what Jesus continues to expect from us. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Our glorious and almighty Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you've set us free. We're thankful for the freedom we have from sin and death. We're thankful for the freedom we have from the old law. We're thankful for the freedom we have from fear and discouragement and disheartenment because of the grace that we've received through the blood of Your Son and from the Word that You have provided through Your Spirit that we might know how to honor and glorify You. Thank You so much for that. Help us to live in that freedom. Help us never to be brought again under a yoke of slavery that takes our salvation away. Rather, Father, help us to always live in the freedom that You have authored for our salvation. Father, forgive us for the times that we have resubmitted ourselves to our slavery of sin for the times that we've turned back to the ways of the world and followed after the wicked one. And we pray that You would help us to overcome these things, to grow in Your grace and knowledge, to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control. Help us to have these characteristics and allow these characteristics to be increasing in our lives. Forgive us for the times that we've turned away from Your will. 
Forgive us for the times that we followed after immorality. Forgive us for the times that we've bitten and devoured one another. And Father, help us not to consume one another, but rather to edify and lift one another up. Father, we praise Your name because You are awesome and powerful and glorious and You are worthy of our adoration. Thank You so much for loving us, Father. We love You. Through Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Call to freedom. In Christ, I think we see essentially that Paul is making the point that we are free in two very important areas. Number one, specifically within the context, we are free from the law of Moses. If you look there in Galatians chapter 5, the main context of the book of Galatians is about the fact that we are no longer under the yoke of bondage and slavery to the old covenant law that God gave to the Jewish nation. In fact, these statements in Galatians 5 are given to us on the heels of one of Paul's popular allegories in chapter 4. If you begin in chapter 4 and verse 21, Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free. Paul's entire point is that we're free from this old covenant law, from this physical nation of Israel. What's happening here in Galatia is Judaizing teachers, as we have called them, were coming among the Gentiles and telling them that they had to submit to that old law and receive circumcision and, and the other aspects of the law. And apparently some of the Gentiles were being enamored with this asceticism that, that might come from this and from the law and going through that. And Paul's saying, why are you doing that? He had said earlier, you were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world before. Why, now that you've found freedom in Christ, would you go to this law? And the whole point is we are free from the law of Moses. Why is that so important to us? Look in chapter 3 and verse 10. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul explains the joyous nature of this freedom when he points out what it's like to be under the law of Moses. In Galatians 3 and verse 10 he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He quoted there from Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26. He points out that if we want to go back to the law, if we pursue the law of Moses, we bring ourselves under a curse. Why? Because if we're under the law of Moses, we are agreeing to live by every aspect of the law of Moses. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to pull circumcision out. We don't get to pull Sabbath out. We don't get to pull the Feast of Passover out and just do those things. We've got to do it all. And the problem is we've already blown that. Because we haven't already lived by the whole thing and we've already fallen, if we try to go back to the law, we are cursed. But see, Jesus has set us free from that curse. 
We're not under that curse or law anymore. Peter explained what a curse and a burden it was back in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, the church in Jerusalem gathered to discuss the issue of circumcision and whether or not the Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to be Christians. And in Acts chapter 15 and verse 7, it says, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. You see what Peter's pointing out? He's he says, nobody's ever been able to live according to this. We haven't lived according to this. Our fathers haven't lived according to this. We've all fallen when it comes to the law of Moses. Why would we turn around and try to bind something that nobody except Jesus has ever been able to live by? Why would we do that? That's a curse. That's slavery. I just want you to think about it for a moment. What kind of slavery and bondage it is to try to work out your salvation by following a law that you won't possibly follow and that even if you began to follow it perfectly from this day forward, can't even save you anyway. Now that's bondage. That's slavery. We find out as we consider these principles in Galatians chapter 3 that the law was never intended to save anyone. Some folks seem to have this idea that there are two ways to be saved. We're either saved by perfectly keeping the law of Moses or we're saved by submitting to Jesus Christ. That's just not true. Look in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, in Galatians 3.22, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law was not given to save anyone. The law was given in order to imprison us under sin. The law was given simply to demonstrate to us that we are sinners and we need salvation. But no one can be saved by the law. No doubt, if someone lives perfectly from infancy on through adulthood until they die, they can be saved? Well, no, because they weren't lost. See, that's the problem. The moment we start talking about needing salvation, we realize that we've already blown the concept of perfect law-keeping. Thus, the law can't save us. It was never designed to save anyone. All it ever did was point out, yep, you're a sinner. Yep, you're a sinner. So are you. So are you. So am I. That's all it could do. And it could never do anything more. And so, pointing out our sinfulness, it prepared us for the freedom that would come through faith in Jesus Christ. The freedom to pursue a righteousness that would, in fact, be beneficial to our eternal souls. This is not the only thing that Jesus Christ has freed us from. There in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22, we point out that the old law, the Scripture, imprisoned everything under sin. 
And what we learn is that from Jesus Christ, we are set free from the law of sin and death. Set free from the law of sin and death. Here in Galatians, it's very clear that the end of sin is death. And Christ has set us free, granting life. In fact, in the parallel passage in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, notice what Paul says there. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, Paul says to us there, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We know that law, Romans 6.23, the law of sin is, the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.20 concisely states that law. The soul who sins shall die. That's the law we're under when we sin. And Jesus sets us free from that law. But we know that the law of sin and death is more than just saying you've sinned and now you ought to die. Paul talks about it in detail in Romans chapter 7. And he points out that the law of sin and death is not just a statement that you're a sinner and going to die but it's actually something that ends up governing our entire lives if we've submitted ourselves to sin. Notice in Romans 7 and verse 14 it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul talks about the law of sin that had taken over in his members. Because he had submitted himself to sin, sin had taken over. And there was only one way to get away from that. That was through Jesus Christ. We've all been there. We all know what it feels like to have that sin that we've committed over and over again and we've said to ourselves, I'm not going to do it again, I'm going to stop, that's it, it's over. And then, in time of stress and duress, we go right back to it. Whether it's outburst of anger, whether it's slander, whether it's lying, whether it's lust, whether it's uh, gossip, whatever it might be, we've all been there. We've all done that. That's that law of sin. Because we had submitted ourselves to sin so much, there's only one way to be free from that. That's through Jesus Christ. And notice how Paul ends it. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. This whole chapter, Paul's been saying, I tried to do it on my own. And I couldn't. But think about it, that's where Paul was. Where are we going to be? Yet he says, through Jesus Christ. You see, where Jesus Christ sets us free is not just from the guilt of our sin, but from the enslavement to that sin. As we submit ourselves to the Spirit, and it's a growth process. This is not an issue of we got baptized and now today I never sin again. It's a growth process. But as we submit ourselves to Jesus and His will and what the Spirit has revealed, we are set free to pursue the righteousness that we wanted to pursue to begin with. 
set free from the law of sin and death. This is the freedom that Christ offers us. Freedom from a law that can do nothing more than captivate us, capture us to sin. Make us captives of sin. I'll get that out in a, in a properly here in a second. Free from a law that can only make us captives of sin. And free from a law that takes control of our members against our will, as it seems, and pushes us to death. But through Jesus Christ, as we submit ourselves to Him, we can have freedom. But that freedom is not absolute. And that's amazing. And perhaps we should just stop there. And yet I think we need to recognize that freedom in Christ is not absolute. Freedom in Christ does not mean, oh, now I'm free to do anything I want. The very passage in which all this is based has demonstrated that. And within the context, I think we find four things. And I'm going to use a pretty strong word. I'm going to use the word enslaved. And the reason I'm going to use that is because the Bible uses that term. We don't like to think about that. It's not really spiritually correct today to talk about service and slavery. And we're not under that yoke of slavery that we can't bear up under because of the law of sin and death and the law of Moses. We're under a yoke of slavery that Jesus Himself says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And yet, there is an enslavement we have. There are restrictions that we must live by. First, in Christ, we are enslaved to the law of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, you'll remember it said you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. His whole point there is that we are freed from one law. We're freed from two laws. The law of Moses, the law of sin and death. But we're not freed from every law. We're not freed from law, period. We still have the law we have to submit to. We're not allowed to use the liberty that Christ has given to be an opportunity for us to pursue the desires of our flesh. And notice what he says in verse 16 as he contrasts what we're supposed to do with following the flesh. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Hmm, doesn't that sound familiar? That sounds like Romans 7 to me. Now the works of the flesh are, excuse me, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Then those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You see, when we are refraining from using our liberty to pursue the lust of the flesh, that means we are following the leading of the Spirit. Now, do you remember what it called that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2? Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, remember what Paul said there? For the law of the Spirit. 
For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. i got to tell you, I'm really concerned about this very point in general among Christians today because I am hearing more and more Christians that talk about the freedom that we have in Christ. And they use that to say things like, you know what? You guys shouldn't be listening to all those legalists who say you shouldn't drink alcohol or you shouldn't gamble or, or that you shouldn't worry about the lasciviousness of these modern school dances and all those kinds of things. Do you realize what that's really saying? We're free in Christ to pursue the desires of our flesh. That's what that's saying. That's not why Jesus died. Jesus didn't die so you could be free to pursue the desires of your flesh. Jesus died so you would be free to pursue the leading of the Holy Spirit through His Word. To pursue righteousness. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, generous faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now this, this concerns me today. And we've got to make sure that we don't allow the freedom that Christ has offered so let us believe that we're free from all law. I've heard folks today complain, oh, you people, you're just trading one law for another. As if that's a bad thing. Well, yeah, that's absolutely what I'm doing. I am trading one law for another. I'm trading the law of Moses that couldn't save me. I'm trading the law of sin and death for the law of the Spirit of life. And why am I doing that? And that's what God said I'm supposed to do. We are servants of the law of the Spirit of life. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, it's called the law of Christ. Also, in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 21, the law of Christ. Yes, there is a law that we must abide by. Does this mean that the only way to go to heaven is to try to live perfectly, to, to live perfectly? Of course not. I, I know that. We've already blown that. That's why we have to have faith in Jesus. But we don't get to allow that grace to be licensed for us to just continue in sin. We're supposed to pursue the law of the Spirit of life. Which leads to a second thing. We are enslaved to obedience. And oh, I know that scares us today because, well, obedience. If you start talking about obedience, you're, you're meaning that we've got to earn our way into heaven. No, absolutely not. As I've already stated, that's, that's gone. We've, we've botched that. We can't do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. There's no law that could be written that if I follow it exactly from now on out, I have somehow saved myself. The only way I can be saved is by the grace of Jesus. But I want you to think about this. If it points out that I'm not allowed to use my liberty, the freedom that Jesus has offered, to just live however I want, it means I have to obey the law of the Spirit of life, doesn't it? Not just talk about the law of the Spirit of life, not just pay homage to the law of the Spirit of life, but I'm now supposed to actively try to walk by the law of the Spirit of life. Look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, as he described us as Christians, in verse 15, Romans chapter 6 and verse 15, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Now listen to this. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? 
either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. We have just got to understand this point. No matter what we do, we are slaves to something. That's what Paul is saying. Folks, act today like freedom means freedom from everything. And that's just not true. No matter what we do, we are slaves to something. We can be slaves to sin, doing what we want, pursuing the desires of our flesh. And if we do that, we will become enslaved to the law of sin and death again. Or we can be slaves to righteousness and obedience. Slaves of God. I don't understand why it's so anathema to people today to talk about being a slave of God, a bondservant, who has voluntarily submitted himself to serve the great and awesome God who has said, when you do that, I'm going to save you from sin and death. Why is it that so many people today are so opposed to the slavery that leads to life? We're enslaved to obedience. But Paul also points out that we're enslaved to one another. There in Galatians chapter 5, as he continued his discussion about our freedom, he said, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This is again in verse 13 of Galatians 5. But through love, serve one another. That word there, that verb, is the verb form of the word that translates servant and slave throughout the New Testament. Through love, be slaves to one another. Be servants to one another. That's our job. We're not free to do whatever we want. Our job as Christians is now to help each other. Paul, again, it's amazing to me how many similarities there are between Romans and Galatians. In fact, you know, the more I study my Bible, the more similarities I find in all the books. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, Romans 15, verses 1 and 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Think about Jesus. Deity in the flesh. If anyone had the right to choose to do exactly what he wanted to, he did. What did he choose to do? Serve us. How did he do it? by sacrificing himself for us. Paul says we're supposed to follow in that example, not seeking our own pleasure, but seeking to edify our neighbor for his good. In the context of Romans 15, that comes right on the heels of Romans 14, you know, one of the most famous chapters among our brotherhood. What was that chapter all about? That chapter was all about me sacrificing my rights to help you preserve your conscience. Paul saying that we need to sacrifice ourselves to serve one another. In Galatians, he gets back to that in chapter 6. 
Verse 1, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see that there? Now we're back to that law thing again, aren't we? We're under the law of Christ. And what does that mean we have to do? That means we have to serve one another. Be slaves of one another. Helping one another. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As each has received a gift. Why do we have our abilities? Why do we have our talents? Why do we have our resources? Not so we can pursue our goals. God has given us those things so we can serve one another. We're free in Christ from the law of Moses. We're free in Christ from the law of sin and death. But we're not free in Christ from one another. We're servants of one another. And finally, I think this is one of the most interesting things to point out, is that we're still enslaved to the natural consequences of our actions. Look again in Galatians chapter 5. As Paul continued on and we get to verse 15, he says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Do you see Paul's point there? Paul's point is there are some natural consequences. It doesn't matter what freedom you declare that you have. If you live in a certain way, certain things are going to happen and you can't stop them. If you will not be a servant of others, but instead you bite and devour others, there is just a natural consequence to which you can't get away from. You're enslaved to it. You're not free from it. If you bite and devour others, you're going to end up being consumed by one another. If I live my life biting and devouring others in the end, it's just going to come around on me. And I can't get away from that natural consequence, no matter what law I declare I'm under. Galatians chapter 6 makes the same point in verse 7 when it says in Galatians 6 and verse 7, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There's just no way to get away from that. It's a law of natural consequences. Actions have consequences. And you can declare all day long, I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I get to do what I want because I'm free in Christ. But if in that declaration of your freedom you're pursuing the lust of your flesh, what Paul says is there's just a natural consequence. If you allow your freedom in Christ to be a license for you to dabble in sin, sin is going to take over again. And you can't stop it. That's just the way it works. That's the natural consequences. If you pursue the lust of your flesh while declaring freedom in Christ, it will take over. And will subjugate you again to the law of sin and death. And we can't escape that. We can't just declare I'm free in Christ to live how I want. We've got to submit ourselves to the law of the Spirit in obedience, following after Christ. It's a growth process. Second Peter chapter 1. I know it's a growth process, and I think sometimes we forget that. I know in times past I've forgotten that, as if we can just get baptized and it's all over. Or we've made a fall and now we confess to someone and it's all over. We've, we've done all we need to do. I, I know it's a growth process. We need to remember that. 
2 Peter 1, verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that. And are increasing. This is not... This is not a statement that says you've got to be perfect today, otherwise you're back under the law of sin and death and the law of Moses. It's saying that we've got to be growing in the grace knowledge of the Lord. We've got to be growing in the Spirit and in His law if we want to be free from the law of Moses and the law of sin and death. What great freedoms God has offered us through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the Word that He's given. Amazing freedom. But let's not allow our freedom to be a license to pursue our desires of the flesh. Let's submit to the Spirit. Let's submit to one another. Let's recognize the consequences of our actions and grow from that.